please subscribe. The community is important, the spirit of community is the most important thing, so subscribe. Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy, and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national, and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning. You are listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it, it, the, in the studio today is Jacob and Megan. Good morning. Um, so we are going to be presenting you another hour and a half of um, the latest in radical news, um, presenting you know the latest um, in left-wing politics in terms of the latest in grassroots movements. Um, so before actually, but before I announce what we have coming up for our, our program, I'd like to acknowledge that free. Today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry, um, um, from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I like to pay our respect um, to elders, past and present, um, and that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land, and that FreeCR and Green Left Weekly um, supports um, the sovereignty of Indigenous people in Australia. Now, actually, before I while I mention that, um, it's important to mention that the fight for the um, Dajuwam, Jaburong, uh, Jaburong, yeah. uh, uh, sacred tree is still ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it is currently on red alert at the moment, mainly because this is and this is based on reports um, I've heard from activists on the ground. Um, there's no court inju- injunction uh, injunction at this stage, and um, Essentially, essentially, the um, the police could move in at any moment to remove the protesters and um, who are currently at the camp. Um, so, if there's anyone who is listening who is in the Ararat area, or is there anyone who is in a position to actually go all the way there and visit, um, they definitely need your solidarity and your support. Um, there are protesters there. Um, at the camp right now, and they've been, you know, still fighting the good fight, and I think we need to continue to support and stand in solidarity um, with that struggle, especially since, I mean, to make another point again, which I've probably made several times on this program before, it's quite, you know, I think it's quite despicable that, you know, the Daniel Andrews government um, can pass itself as progressive um, for... Aboriginal on the question of Aboriginal rights, um, especially since um, the Victorian government is pushing forward a so-called treaty, um, and then continue and does not respect the wishes of the Aboriginal community um, in in respect to this um, sacred tree site, especially mm. since. I mean, in the whole issue of development, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really politically, I'm not necessarily for the expanding of high roads anyway. I think there needs to be more investment towards, um, sustainable kind of infrastructure, but there's actually alternative pathways that doesn't involve knocking down this sacred tree. And it's yeah. been said repeatedly. Um, and it's kind of disappointing that, you know, the Daniel Andrews government can't even seem to take that basic step. 
And the, the Jaburang trees, many of them are several centuries old, um, you know, and these have been in, you know, these have been used as a sacred site for generations um, of Indigenous people. And to actually ignore the request to, you know, to not knock them down to build a highway that's going to knock two minutes off travel time is ridiculous and quite hypocritical for a government who says that they do value, um, you know, Indigenous uh, sovereignty. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, as I said, I highly encourage you to visit the site um, or to at least share um, stuff about it on social media to encourage your friends or your networks um, or if you even have any know any locals in the area um, that are supportive um, encourage them to come along so yeah all right um, I guess maybe I'll pass it on to Megan so Megan had a news article that she will wanted to share and um, talk about um, starting off the program yeah well actually I want to start on a high note so um, for those of you who aren't aware Ethiopia has planted 350 million trees in 12 hours. Uh, this is recently breaking a tree planting record. So in a bid to plant 4 billion saplings in the country, the African nation has vowed, has vowed the world with the start of its tree planting campaign. So that's an amazing um, feat, uh, 350 million trees in 12 hours. And just to put that into perspective, um, we, in order to combat uh, the climate emergency that we currently have, one of the things that we need to do is have carbon drawdown programs. And the best carbon drawdown program that we have is planting massive amounts of trees, which act as a carbon sink. So we could take out a leaf out of Ethiopia's books and, um, you know, enact a program of massive tree planting here and be an example to the world. But this is Ethiopia leading the way, which is great. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, the article that I was going to talk about um, was an article in the, the latest Green Left Weekly um, about – it's written by Pip Hinman, and it's about um, the abortion law reform that's uh, possibly about to go through in New South Wales. So just to give a bit of a background um, – not a lot of people realise that abortion laws are actually state-based and vary from state to state. And some states actually have um, quite archaic abortion laws. And, you know, in this day and age, in 2019, we definitely should be uh, bringing all the states up to scratch and allowing freedom of reproductive rights for women. So uh, Pip writes a decades-long feminist campaign to remove abortion from the anti-woman New South Wales Crime Act is likely to take one more step towards victory with debate on a pro-choice private member's bill to begin in the state parliament on August the 6th. Uh, Independent MP for Sydney Alex Greenwich introduced the Reproductive Health Reform Bill in two, uh, 2019 in, on August the 1st, so that was yesterday. Uh, his bill has the support of the Coalition's Health Minister, Brad Hazard. And this is a strong indicator that the New South Wales Coalition has numbers to pass the bill, even though it will give its MPs a conscience vote, as will Labor. The bill is, is being co-sponsored by MPs from the Nationals, the Liberals, Labor, New South Wales, Wales Greens and the Animal Justice Party. So it's a, a cross-party initiative uh, and it's the first co-sponsored bill to ever be introduced into the Legislative Assembly and has most the most co-sponsors in New South Wales Parliament history, which is really encouraging. So... Uh, protest protesters rallied outside Parliament on July 31st to affirm that the bill should um, be supported by New South Wales MPs because a clear majority believe abortions are a medical procedure and not a crime. This is a really important point. 
Our speakers included uh, New South Wales Pro-Choice Alliance Chair Wendy McCarthy, Labor MLC Penny Sharp, uh, Greenwich, uh, New South Wales Greens MLA for Newtown Jenny Leong, um, Our Bodies, Our Choices um, spokesperson uh, Janani Janathana, and Tessa Oxley, a paramedic um, from Western Sydney and Health Services Union member. Uh, so, see, Leong told Green Left Weekly that the Greens um, have been involved in conversation about the development of the bill and that Labor had been involved in its drafting as well. And it's largely been modelled on the Queensland law adopted on October the 16th, which allows for abortions up to 22 weeks into a pregnancy and afterwards with the approval of two doctors. And this is basically the result of grassroots campaigns. And honestly, law, abortion law reform all over Australia, it has been, um, the result, uh, of grassroots campaigns. So it really can't be emphasised enough how much grassroots campaigns have contributed to, uh, abortion law reform and increasing um, the reproductive rights of, of women. And uh, Leong said um, in a July 28th statement, if we succeed in getting this change through the New South Wales Parliament, it will be the culmination of a campaign that our mothers, indeed our grandmothers, feminist and pro-choice activists have been fighting for over generations. This is a generational fight, it has to be um, stated. And a separate statement released the same day, Greenwich said... The bill ensures women in New South Wales have access to safe and lawful terminations without the threat of criminal convictions and provides doctors with the legal clarity they have long sought. Um, and then it says here, Socialist Alliance National Co-Convener Susan Price told Green Left Weekly, it's about time women in New South Wales were able to access abortion without fear of persecution. And um, <clears throat> it has to be said, in uh, states where uh, abortion has been a criminalised act, etc., it's always been the case that women with financial means have always been able to get abortions, but women without financial means, poor women, women in remote areas, etc., are the ones that are penalised um, when we have a, a criminalised um, abortion act, and this will remove that discrimination, which is probably the most important thing. Um, it's always the rich can get abortions. Rich women can get abortions. Poor women can't when legislation is archaic like this. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think it's um, definitely a, a significant um, sort of gain, and I think it also yeah, should um, be put into kind of international context as well, especially um, in countries like Argentina and the United States, where abortion rights are being sort of taken back, absolutely, uh, um, and you know, kind of pushed back um, by um, by the right. So it's a, I think it's important um, a victory for this. I think you know has. In a sense, international significance, um, you know, for for the movement um, for um, women's rights as a whole. Absolutely, and I just want to point out also that Pip in another um, article in Green Left Weekly, in response to Miranda Devine's kind of moral panic about the bill, has said that um, women constantly have to fight for their rights. This is something that we have to do as a as a constant thing, and as we see in other countries where these rights are being uh, repealed. It's not set in stone that we will have these rights forever and we always have to be vigilant um, in, in keeping these rights. So did you have anything to um Oh, to well, uh, we'll play a quick announcement um, and then we will go move um, on to covering some more news for Green Left Weekly. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. 
Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. Which way the wind blows. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 7.12 a.m. And I guess the latest thing I would like to um, talk about maybe is a bit of um, some current developments in um, industrial relations. Um, and I guess the more negative side, this is a more of an article from um, ABC, um, but it's basically a report. Um, this was posted this Friday morning um, that Australian... Australia's slow wage growth is becoming more deeply entrenched with the latest batch of enterprise bargaining agreements um, falling across the board. And it's written here um, that the annual wage increases AAWI granted new EBAs in the first quarter this year was 2.7%. This is a sharp decline from the 3.2% AAWI increase in the third quarter of 2018, the strongest negotiated wage growth reported over the past two years. And analysis of data released by the Attorney General's Department on newly um, approved deals show wage rises weakened in both the public and private sectors. And private sector EBA pay rises slipped from 3 to 2.9% over the March quarter, with the public sector experiencing a larger 0.3 percentage drop from 27 to 2.4%. So, and I mean, this sort of article is generally sort of covered, I mean, from the perspective of kind of the bureaucrats who are sort of, you know, monitoring these kind of wages. But I do think it's sort of interesting. Um, I think it, it is kind of reflective of, I guess, the stage we are currently at um, in terms of neoliberal capitalism. Um, this is sort of all to kind of be expected um, when you have all these sort of laws in place that, you know, restrict um, the rights of unions, etc. And even in this article, it says, um, you know, the report also points to, you know, um, um, that the, um, the un- points to the union's weakening grasp um, driving wage growth because strong trade unions are essential to fighting for prop- um proper wages, etc. Safety conditions. And, you you know, know, this report confirms that the power of unions to win higher wage increases continues to erode in the face of employer and government opposition to unions and collective bargaining in a very hostile legal and regulatory environment, he said. Dr. Stanford said almost half of all workers covered by newly appointed enterprise bargaining agreements in the March quarter had non-quantifiable wage increases. With that means is their wage gains are not specified in the deal, but rather are tied to things like future increases in the minimum wage or changes in award wages. And so, yeah, in, in a, a, another context as well, there's um, the current Liberal um, coalition is trying to put um, push forward this insuring integrity bill, which would strip away um, a lot of powers um, from the um, from trade unions. Well, in a sense, it would give the state um, the power to, you know, step um, to sack, for example, union secretaries, um, which is a very dangerous thing because it's 
union secretaries are empowered by um, their members' support. And, of course, if a union, sec- um, union secretary is speaking out and, you know, being a face of opposition to government policy, then the government can use this Ensuring Integrity Bill to essentially sack that secretary to break down the union. Yeah, really worrying stuff. Yeah. Actually, um, the next um, thing I wanted to mention is um, what's the name of that MasterChef guy again? Uh, George Columbaris. George Columbaris. Yeah. So um, there was a funny article about him recently where he um, he broke the silence um, over all the wages <laughs> um, he stole from workers. Um, and some of the excuses he made were pretty funny. Um, he made a, an excuse about how, you know, when, when I was just starting off, you know, we didn't have, you know, the experienced financial team that we, ha- we have. We, you know, we didn't have a CEO. Um, I'm sorry. He's not starting off now and he's been doing this the entire time. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think, you know, if it, if, if it really was like just a financial mistake, surely down the line he would have made a mistake of, overpaying his workers. Yeah, I've never heard anyone accidentally overpaying their workers. It's always accidentally underpaying. Isn't that a coincidence? Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, there has been examples of workers being overpaid, but... Um Really? But by by, administra- <laughs> by purely administrative errors, like yep. for example, some um, during the payroll, someone um, accidentally calculates extra hours than what do you? Oh yeah, but not overall rates though. Like yeah, actually, yes. as in hourly rates. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is, is for George is you know, if it, it's no coincidence that these workers' wages were systematically stolen mm. um, and him trying to pass it off as an accident is absolutely luxurious. And um, and I guess, and, and it also speaks, I guess, to the power dynamic between um, the bosses and the workers. And because, you know, he can, he can just make a public apology and it's like, well, you know, yeah. if, he, if he was genuinely sorry, I, I, I think, you know, what he needs to do is I think he should actually step down um, from his position um, and he actually should just give away mo- or the majority of his profits um, back to the workers he stole from. Yeah, a cynical person could say that this is basically him launching the PR machine to repair his reputation. I mean, that's what a cynical person could say. Um, so, yeah, like, I, it, it, I think it's also a case of too little too late because he was very silent um, when the initial allegations came out. Uh, there was radio silence from him and his team, and now that he has actually been convicted of this and forced to pay it back, even after that there was a delay, and then he apologises. And, yeah, I, I'm, I am one of those cynical people, hmm. yeah. Now, the last... Um News article I want to cover on the industrial relations front is the more positive um, story of um, workers um, fighting back. Um, so Melbourne trains could stop for up to 48 hours after thousands of train drivers, station workers and signal operators have overwhelmingly voted to take industrial action in a fight for better pay. And so this is going to happen within the um, the, the month. Um, 3,000 workers running Melbourne City Rail Network could stop checking Mikey tickets, refuse to wear their wear uniform or walk off the job. Um, 99% of all rail workers with the rail RTBU voted in favour of industrial action, and as in this Monday afternoon. And the, the ballot follows a breakdown in negotiations between Metro Trains and the RTBU over a four-year wage deal, with talks now entering their fifth month. 
Um, the operator wants a 2% annual wage increases, whereas the RTBU is demanding a 6% um, pay rise, arguing that increasing pressure on the public transport network is putting a strain on workers, and, and this is in the context of the existing wage deal being expired. The union's branch secretary, Luba, um, said she wants to overhaul um, workers' salaries across the network to ensure they reflect changes in working conditions. With 99% of members who voted endorsing industrial action, it is clear members are frustrated by Metro's tactics and aggressive attacks on hard-earned, um, hard-won conditions. And, of course... Um, one of the focuses, I mean, this is what always happens when public transport workers go on strike. Um, the right wing media always likes to sort of go on sort of the attack, mm. um, with the so-called inconvenience to, um, public commuters. Um, and of course, um, the, the, what RTBU's kind of strategy in this instance is their members that will be making efforts to minimize the impact on the traveling public, sharpening the focus on the company where it hurts most. And of course, you know, as part of the action, um, workers may also refuse to alter timetables, work overtime, open barriers and issue infringement notices. Mm-hmm. Um, and is likely, um, um, the union will prioritise the least disruptive course of action over a 24 or 48-hour strike action. If workers do walk out, they will most likely do, do so outside peak hour. And, of course, it's, it's all still in discussion. Um, I haven't heard a report back from um, some of the delegate meetings that are happening. And so there's no date set yet at the moment, is there? Yeah, yeah. They know they're going to go on strike at some stage, but we haven't had a date set and any details. Yeah. So, um, and of course, Metro have said that, you know, industrial action has, is completely unnecessary and, you know, some kind of agreement is going to be ta- take place and, you know, we're going to continue um, to negotiate in good faith. But, you know, I'm incredibly sceptical of that and I think completely yeah. supportive of um, the RTBU um, taking industrial action. And it feeds back into that whole um, EBA reduction of um, wages, the wage stagnation that you were talking about just before. I mean, 2% is literally CPI. Um, I'm not even sure if that is exactly CPI, but it's basically just it's it's the same wages that they have right now. It's just a, an increase in the consumer price index and that's it. Yeah, well, especially considering that weight, like living conditions, our rent, our bills, our grocery prices, all of these things are rising, yet wages are still stagnating. It's really, it's, there's a lot of pressure. Um, my, my stepbrother is a train driver and it is a, an absolutely high pressure, um, job. It's, it's actually quite, awful in some of its, um, you know, some aspects. Um, rail workers, rail tram and bus workers desperately need a, a pay rise. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, so I think it might be time to just take a bit of a breather and um, we'll just play a quick song. Um, it's Dreams Tonight by Olvays.
That was Dreams Tonight by Olvays. So you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is um, 7.25am. Um, and Megan was going to start with um, something that she wanted to talk up. Yeah, um, so recently um, 3CR had its radiothon entitled Power Radical Radio, um, and that was in June. And so we're still uh, slowly bringing in um, the money and the target is going up. So we're actually currently on. So the the uh, the um, the target is $250,000 to keep the station running uh, for an entire year. Uh, we're actually up to $200,000. So um, that's great, but we've just got another 50k to go. And if you haven't actually donated or if you'd like to donate more or you want to become a subscriber, you can become a subscriber to the station. So it's uh, $35 concession or pension, uh, $75 waged, and then we've also got $150 solidarity band organisation organization um, subscription as well. So get onto 3cr.org.au and uh, subscribe, become a member, become a supporter because it's really important to support independent radio. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for that. Um, so now I just want to move on to some news um, getting from the international front. Um, so the first article I want to talk about, and this is actually someone I'm pretty sure um, the actress who wrote this is Merck and um I think at some point we actually did have him on our free CR program when he visited Australia at one point, ah. um, back in 2017, but um, just not completely sure. I mean, this, this program has <laughs> been going on for so long. Anyway, he wrote this article for um, the latest Green Left Weekly um, about um, workers at a, uh, this is based in the Philippines, workers at the Filipino beverage giant Zagu went on strike on June 6th in response to management's attempts to bust their union and President um, Duterte's failure to end contract labour. Um, so according to um, the organisation of Zagu Workers um, Union, which is the affiliate of the Socialist Labour Centre Solidarity of Filipino Workers, employees unionise in response to numerous um, company malpractices, which included the rampant use of contract labour. The union uh, alleges that um, Zagu illegally engaged more than 600 workers under shady subcontractors on short-term precarious contract work, and only 46 Zagu workers enjoy permanent jobs. Um, this practice, known as Endo in the Philippines, um, Duterte promised to end the practice when he ran for president in 2016. Um, his campaign promise was a major factor in his election victory, attracting votes from contract workers who have long been hoping for regularization of the, their precarious jobs. Duterte failed, the workers said surely, a few Genko, president of organizer, despite his promise to end contractual labor, companies such as Zagu continue to place their workers under third party contractors to invade their obligation to their workers and to disable them to um, perform unions. For Leginko, explained that Zagu attempted, um, an, um, stopped an attempt to form a union in 2007. Um, she added that the company could violate, um, com- labor standards with ease. And, you know, some of their, um, colleagues had lost their fingers and faulty machines and these amputees were not properly compensated in accordance with labor laws. And of course, to add insult to the injury, whenever a machine encounters a glitch, instead of management fixing the machine, the last worker to have operated is penalized with salary deductions. Um, and then 
continue on from that, um, Zagu workers unionized again in 2018. Um, the officers were issued with numerous um, disciplinary memos. Contract um, workers were explicitly told in writing that they were prohibited from joining a union because they were purportedly not employees of Zagu, but of the job contractor. These union busting schemes compelled the union to strike. And of course, um, this strike has been going on for more than a month, um, and they have won victories along the way. They have successfully repealed management's attempt on July 8th um, to violently break the strike. A few days earlier, scabs violently attacked the striking workers at the Permaco and Notra Ash Asia factories in Laguna province, and they've also... Um, one support from other sectors, various youth organisations have formed the Boycott Zagu movement, calling for the boycott of the company's products. Um, the strikers also drew support from the LGBT community when they joined the Pride March on June 26th. Um, and Pasig Mayor Rice Soto has publicly supported the union and denounced the stubbornness of Zagu's management to refusal to regularise the workers. Um, so yeah, that's just a bit of a kind of a big of a small story in a big country, um, the Philippines, of current worker struggle that's currently happening there. So, um, the next story I kind of want to talk about was another article in Green Left Weekly. I'm just trying to. Sorry, I'll just play a quick announcement before I move. I'll move on mm-hmm. to it. Three CR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out. The sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we're just bringing the latest in some latest developments in the international news, the kind of the kind that you don't typically hear in mainstream media. Um, so this is an article written by um, Susan Price, and this is kind of in relation to the current sort of tensions um, around the United uh, in the United States um, in the question uh, around in terms of their relations with Iran. Um, the United States um, and Britain are ensuring that tensions remain high in the Straits of Hormuz as they continue beating the drums of war against Iran. A second British warship arrived in the Strait of Homos on July 29th, tasked with escorting um, British flag commercial vessels between the Gulf of Oman and the Persian Gulf. The latest escalation follows a number of incidents since June 13th when two oil tankers, one Japanese, the other Norwegian, were hit by explosives and caught fire. The US immediately blamed Iran um, for for the attacks, accusing it of trying to disrupt oil oil supplies. A few days later, a US spy drone was shot down over Iran, and the Trump administration claimed it was over international waters. These incidents um, sparked a dangerous series of events, bringing the US to within minutes of war with Iran on June 20th, when President Donald Trump authorised a missile strike and then changed his mind. 
um, British Mamil, I'm sorry, British Royal Marines, um, allegedly at the behest of the United States, um, had seized um, the Iranian tanker Grace on July 4th. And what it was apparently suspected of um, was of transporting Iranian oil to Syria um, in, de- in defiance of um, particular European Union sanctions. And then what happened a week later um, was Iran Iranian Revolutionary Guard boats allegedly um, had attempted to intercept a British oil tanker passing through the Straits of Hormos, um, but were prevented from doing so by a British Navy ship. And, um, of course, um, Iran has denied that this has happened. And I guess, I mean, then the next um, thing on July 19th, um, Iran seized the British flagged HMS Stenner and Pure as it was sailing through the Strait of Homos. According to Iran, it had collided with another re- vessel and violated international maritime rules. And according to the July 29th Guardian, Iranian President um, Hassan Rouhani indicated that the captured Stenner and Pure could be released if um, the UK returns Grace One to Iran. However, British Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab is reported to have ruled this out. Um, so yeah, that's a get, I guess the kind of um, the current kind of de- um, developments in terms of the war. Um, Stop the war, Britain um, coalition had released a statement, kind of condemning it, and you know basically ruling out, um, basically condemning any potential kind of military action that could arise between these foreign powers. So. Yeah, that's just a bit of um, the latest kind of developments there um, in terms of the tension, um, the current tensions between the US and um, Iran. All right, I might I'll play a quick um, I'll play a quick announcement and then we might move on to some more articles um, cover for the next ten minutes. Three Songs for 3CR on August 3rd brings solos, duos, trios and five choirs to raise funds for Music Sans Frontières. The Oratory, Abbotsford Convent, 7.30pm, Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets at the door or go to www.boite.com.au. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. Right, you're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio. Um, we might ca- we're going to be covering another news article, which um, Megan is going to speak about. Uh, yes, so um, two women have accused um, political staffers of assaulting them uh, several years ago. Um, this is in the Liberal Party, and they say no action was taken when they raised the incidents with senior people within the, uh, the, the Liberal Party. Uh, Federal Liberal Party Vice President Karina Ocatel, um said party officials would meet on Friday and finalise a code of conduct to improve procedures. Uh, she said she, that she was ashamed at reports that party officials ignored sexual assault allegations. Um, and uh, she said, at the moment, we don't have a code of conduct in place and the implement- implementation of that would be something that will need to be done through the state divisions. 
And the Code of Conduct Review is to identify best practice. We are a party that strives to operate in, in the most excellent way. Um, <laughs> Ms Ocatel refuted claims that the Liberal Party had a problem with women, but insisted officials had to do more to respond to complaints. Um, this is part of a wider epidemic of um, the difficulties that women face uh, in Parliament and the political landscape. Um, you know, we not only is there, you know, serious allegations of sexual assault that get ignored, um, and there was actually a... Um, a woman uh, who was uh, sexually assaulted, uh, Diani Mani, and she was told that Liberal colleagues had warned her. Uh, she was told Liberal colleagues had warned her that she would not be believed. Uh, and it, it, these kinds of things are an indicator of a wider epidemic. Uh, this sort of thing is not. It's not. You know, this is not just the Liberal Party, although I do believe the Liberal Party has a significant problem with its treatment of women, from serious uh, sexual assault allegations up to the way that they treat their members of parliament, their women MPs. Um, We saw Sarah Hanson-Young, who was accused of being sexually promiscuous, who was told that what she wore in parliament was um, inappropriate, etc., these sorts of things, um, not only are they absolutely inappropriate, they're totally sexist, but they place up a barrier um, between women and their entry to parliament and their function within the parliamentary system as well. But these are serious allegations. And the fact that the Liberal Party has no policy over sexual assault allegations in 2019 is totally... It, it beggars belief uh, and really shows us just how seriously they take these things, which is pretty much not seriously at all. Um, so, yeah, uh, look, I honestly hope that they do develop a sensible policy that deals with these kinds of allegations. But I'm, I'm really not hopeful that this kind of culture is going to be combated in any significant way in the Liberal Party or in politics as, as, a, you know, in, as a whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, one of the one of the, the the broader political points is um I wouldn't really my view is and this is comes from cynicism is I don't necessarily have any confidence in the Liberal no. Party because the Liberal Party is in in a sense a party that already pushes very strong sec um sec sexist policies um to begin with um you know. absolutely in legislation but also in their party culture. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I'm not confident at all, but I mean, I would be hopeful that they might develop something um, that puts in place some kind of protection to people. Because, you know, as, as this woman was told, you will not be believed. If you get sexual assaulted, if you, you know, if you are sexually harassed, etc., and you come out and say those things, you will not be believed within the Liberal Party. Yeah, it's just quite worrying. Yeah. Right. Um, what else? Do you have another news story to cover for the next five minutes? Uh, I don't, actually. There's a lot going on, um, but I'm just oh, nothing comes to mind at the moment. I was actually going to talk about the rail, tram and bus union, but you you um, <laughs> you picked me at the post on that one. Yeah. Actually, um, one thing I wouldn't mind um, talking about, actually, would be just talking about um, talking about some of the um, some of the stuff. Um, We've all been probably involved in, in the past week, um, you know, because there's more there's more to politics than just simply um, you know what we read in the news. Um, but there has been actually some quite ex, um, exciting developments with um, with um, the rise of um, with the development of kind of extinction rebellion in the student strike. So there's quite a lot happening politically yeah. right now. Um, right now there's a 
um, there's a, a number of local groups that are kind of developing around Extinction Rebellion. Um, we have one um, that um, both of us are involved in being XR Moreland, um, which is going to be organising an action um, in on August 17th, um, which is sort of a ride-in and then die-in um, thing from Moreland Station at 10am. And then um, another thing that has been happening is there's an ongoing student um, campaign with um, with a number of um, different left-wing activist groups and the student union working on this, um, working to get the student union um, to the university administration to, um, in a sense, endorse the big strike that's happening on September the 20th. Um, and in a, um, which would basically mean that any workers or um, students who decide that they don't want to go to class and skip um, skip it to attend the the September twentieth march would not would not be penalised. Um, it is something that has actually been achieved in um, University of Sydney um, last time or when um, when it came to the last student strike in March. Um, so there's more than there's. You know, there's definitely a good chance. So if you're on University of Melbourne, um, for any listeners who might be on University of Melbourne, highly encourage you to try and keep an eye out for this campaign and see if you can get involved. All right, I might just play play a few quick announcements, um, and then we will hopefully get into um, our first interview for the program. Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. Help Precia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. 
The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Hi, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, it is 7.45 a.m. Um, and on the line we have um, Gemma um, Carfellia. Is that if I'm pronouncing her name correctly? Carfellia, but close. Carfellia, yeah. Um, and um, she's actually has been a presenter on Freesia before, um, but we have her on the line today for our program Um because she is currently involved in um, the campaign to save Footscray Park. Um, so, Gemma, do you want to give a bit, um, just for um, the benefit of listeners who've probably not heard about what's going on, can you give us a bit of a summary of what the situation is with um, Footscray Park? Yeah, so, I mean, the starting point is that Footscray Park is a really um, quite unique area in the western suburbs. We don't have a whole lot of green space and, and Footscray Park's a really um, beautiful, historic and quite large green space um, in Footscray that's heritage listed. Um, and what's going on is that our council, the Maribyrnong Council, um, have engaged in a process with the Melbourne Victory Football Club um, to potentially give it away to them under a 21-year lease, a large chunk of it, so it's big western lawn, which is a really significant part of the park. Um, and what's going to happen is that they're proposing to build three soccer fields, um, two of which will use synthetic turf, uh, they're going to build 10 floodlight towers and a large two-storey 500-seat stadium. Um, so the people of, of Footscray and the West more broadly um, are really concerned about this because, it, I mean, for a start, it has huge environmental consequences. Um, it's right next to the Maribyrnong River, which is a, a fairly unique saltwater river, and we're a bit worried about um, issues with um, rainwater and runoff. Um, then there's also the use of all these carbon emitting things to build something um, in a place that's currently a carbon sink uh, and doesn't have all of those unnatural and synthetic, um, you know, structures on it. Um, and then there's just the question of, of community space and green space and the privatisation of that area. Yeah. Um, so what is, um, can you tell us a bit about what is sort of, um, what are kind of the demands that um, you're kind of putting forward for this campaign? Yeah, so we only really have one demand, and that is that we want this idea to go away. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it's not something that we think there can be, uh, you know, a big compromise on whether they only have part of the space. Um, our position is basically that Melbourne Victory is a um, for-profit shareholder-owned company. They're proposing to build a private soccer academy. Um, and they should do that on land that they buy like any other company would have to do. Um, you know, some of the things that we've noticed are that there's been no competitive process. So the council hasn't said, oh, this land needs to have something else done with it. Why don't we put out, a, you know, an expression of interest request and see whether any community groups want to do things like make a community garden or anything. There's just been no competition at all. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, we just we just don't want that land um, to be given over to a private company, and we want to see them um, move off and and use. I mean, they're 
we would be happy to see Melbourne Victory come into the West, um, but we think that they shouldn't be taking up one of our really beautiful um, and much-loved and well-used um, parks. Absolutely. It's a, it's the age-old kind of um, battle between, um, you know, we have these public spaces that are used by the community uh, and enjoyed by the community, and it's the battle between, um, you know, having those, saving those public spaces and having them taken over by private enterprises where they're now no longer being used by the public, they're not access- accessible by the public. And, and it's very difficult for the community to claw back those public spaces and to have them again as public spaces. So it's something to take... Um, you know, to take into account that once a public once a public space becomes private, it's very difficult to get that public space um, back, that private space, then back into the public hands, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and we're having an awful time with our council. Um, like they're just using weasel words, um, and you know, they're not basically being very uh, like you know opaque about all of this. There's not a lot of transparency, and and we had a meeting with them. Um, we had two meetings with them this week. One was a big public. Um, council meeting um, and at that this, one of the first things that they said was that because it's just a lease it will be kept in public hands and I just find that so uh, like it's just not true. Um, yeah, that's weasel actually, words because yeah. it's not actually sure it's in public hands but the public can't use it for x amount of time. <laughs> yeah um, and they keep yeah. um, they're being very um slippery about the number of hours that Melbourne Victory would actually use it. But what we understand is if Melbourne Victory are going to come and bother building this academy, they we, we understand that they will want to use it after work hours or after school hours and on weekends, which is exactly when we want to be able to use it to mm. walk our dogs and kick balls and you know just relax and, and have a large green space that we can do whatever we want with whenever we want it. Um, what, what can you tell us about um, the campaign in terms of like um, there's been I've heard some interesting reports in the media about um, some of the protests um, um, that have been organised outside the council meetings and can you tell and us how the a council's bit, handled them? Yeah, yeah, can you tell us a bit about what's actually happening now? I can. Um, so we had a we had a um, rally last week. There was a, a council meeting that was just an ordinary council meeting. Um, where Footscray Park wasn't on the agenda, which is part of the frustration that there's not been a whole lot of um, ways that we can actually engage with council. Uh, and those meetings have public question time. So we planned a rally and, um, you know, people tabled questions for public question time. But when we arrived at council, there was a very large police presence and we were locked out. Um, and so we went and continued with our rally. And then once they opened the doors, we went in, but they they led us into their foyer but had barricaded the doors off that led to the area with the council chamber um, and created quite an unsafe situation themselves by squishing us all into the foyer. Um, and then subsequently a fire alarm went off quite bizarrely and miraculously at mm. exactly the time they wanted us out. But anyway, um, so then we were forced from the building um, it was all peaceful. There were no issues. Um, council are now trying to claim that we're a bunch of thugs when really it's just a bunch of people and their kids and, you know, their grandparents protesting. Um, they then invited us to a private meeting to um, five of us, the organisers, um, on Tuesday. And once again, we turned up to council for this meeting that they had requested um, to a full police presence. We were asked for our names by the police. We were, you know, basically shaken down at the door. That's appalling. Um, and, yeah, again, when there was a council meeting on Wednesday night, it was the same approach. There was about, like, five or six bands of public order response police um, and council are just um, 
I just can't describe it any other way other than like they're just pulling me. So they're just saying that the police just happened to be there um, uh-huh. and they didn't ask them in. But what we're seeing is basically, a, a, we think, a campaign of intimidation by the council. Um, and it's loud and clear that if people want to come and, and voice their opposition to this, they will need to be confronted with a very large police and security presence. So, you know, aside from all the issues about green space, we have some, some real questions about um, council's ability to actually engage in a conversation with us um, and, you know, their ability to engage in this democratic process seems to be pretty disingenuous. That's, uh, I feel like it's the criminalisation of the democratic process. The council is there for us. They are an elected body who should be answerable to their constituents and yet it seems like there's an intimidation process there that is as such a barrier to the democratic process. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed that you continue to, to fight. Um, and, you know, despite all of these, um, these, you know, the obstacles that they've placed in your um, path. Can I ask a question? Um, so just on the practical aspect of the, the development, um, are, how many trees are going to be cut down? What kind of, um, you know, what kind of destruction of the trees are we looking at? Are there many trees that are going to be cut down for this, um, uh, for this development? It's not clear. I don't think there are because it's, it's basically a floodplain. Um, oh, okay. It's, it's, you know, quite, um, you know, there's a lot of salinity issues and the like, so it really is just a large piece of grass at the moment. Um, council are proposing to do some salt-tolerant um, planting around the edges, um, and, and that could go ahead regardless of whether or not Melbourne Victory are there or not. Um, so, you know, they, they've... The other thing is they've they've done this process where they're making it seem like they're doing all these other things in conjunction with Melbourne Victory coming in, but in reality, what we know is that all those things were already approved and funded, um, and now they've just done this new big plan that puts in place all this other, you know, plantings and things that makes it look like it's tied to the Melbourne Victory um, project, but it's not. Um, mm. But yeah, no, it's not about removing trees and stuff. It's more just about that, um, you know, co-opting public space and and privatising it essentially. Absolutely. And um, what is the timeline um, for the development? What are you looking at and, and mm. you know, and what are your next moves? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing to note, and these are things we've learnt at, at council meetings, um, you know, we've really had to force their hand to get this information. But um, one of the interesting facts is that Melbourne Victory and council have been working on this together since 2015, um, but they only went public with the consultation earlier this year. So they had four years in private. Um, and who knows what they were doing between them. Again, that's absolutely that appalling. This is public land being taken yep. for private um, use. Yeah. So now after four years of working on it um, between themselves, and, and I should also dob um, Victoria University, and they're also one of the stakeholders that's pushing this through. Um, so they've all been working on it behind the scenes without any um, public consultation. Uh, and now it's been a very tight timeline, of course. Um, once mm. it went public, there's very small amounts of time for consultation. At the moment, um, the plan is to make a decision on the 27th of August and the council are receiving submissions up until the 16th of August. Um, and so basically... Um, the main thing that we're encouraging at the moment is for people to write in to council and tell them their views about why this shouldn't go ahead. Um, we've got a website which is com, and people can find information about how to send in their views and we've got a sample submission 
there that people can fill out. Um, and our next action is um, there's a council meeting about Footscray Park next week uh, on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, it's worth adding that there was no plan to have that meeting. We really forced that meeting on. Um, well done. And so apparently it will fit 250 people in a room and be held at the Footscray Park campus of Victoria University. Um, and our intention is to start that night with a rally out the front at 545 um, but we'll have more details up on our website and also our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash um, Save Footscray Park. Excellent. Thank you so much for your tireless work. I mean, it's organisations um, like yours, you know, throughout the history of trying to save public spaces that actually mean that we do have these public spaces to enjoy. So please do keep up the pressure. Um, we're going to be wrapping up soon. Is there anything that you want to say um, just as a wrap up, um, you know, any, any sort of uh, last words? Um, well, just on that, it's interesting that you say that. The park was created in 1911 after the people of Footscray fought for its creation. They lobbied for Fantastic. it and they built it themselves. They donated the plants and the labour. The tech school built a bunch of the the walkways. Um, and so our wow. our key message is that we've had to fight to get it and we're going to fight to keep it. Um, and so we'd encourage people to join in our fight because it's becoming a really amazing, powerful community campaign. That is so impressive. Thank you so much. So the people built it and the people are going to save it. And, yeah, we're, we're totally with you on that. And anyone who enjoys um, the Footscray Park, definitely um, submit, you know, do a letter of submission to the council trying to save it because everyone's, um, you know, everyone's submission counts. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. That was um, Gemma um, from Save um, Footscray Park um, talking about the ongoing campaign to um, stop um, Footscray Park from basically being, well, one part of it from being turned into a Melbourne Victory kind of training ground or stadium. Mm. All right. So I'm going to play a quick um, announcement um, and then we are going to move on to the activist calendar. It will be worth the effort to get to Darwin from the 2nd to the 4th of August for the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's National Conference. Australia at the Crossroads, time for an independent foreign policy. Held under the ominous Shadia military exercises for war on China, discussion and speakers will address the social and economic cost of militarism to Australia, the impact of militarism on the environment and the dangers posed to our peace and security by stationing US troops in Darwin. For more details, head to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's website at ipan.org.au. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. It is 8am, which means that it is time for the activist calendar. Um, so I'm going to pass that on to Megan, who's going to um, deliver it. Oh, you don't have... Oh, you don't have... You did have it. Let's quickly... Um, I'll just give it... 
Sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. Who has the activist calendar? Yeah, it is. Okay, here we go. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So I'll go on with the activist calendar. Um, so the first one, um, which is ongoing, um, and we mentioned it previously, is the Jabwarung Heritage Protection Embassy. Um, the embassy is protecting uh, sacred birthing trees in uh, Jab- on Jabwarung country um, from a planned highway extension near Ararat that's set to be destroying uh, this dreaming landscape. And there's more information on Facebook. You can just look up um, Jabwarung. It's D-J-A-B. And then the second word is W-U-R-R-U-N-G. So check that out. If you can get up there, please do. They need all the help that they can get to save these sacred trees. Uh, now, Friday, August the 2nd, which is today. So Friday, August the 2nd to Sunday, August the 11th, there's a film screening, Les Miserables. Tensions between violent cops and neighbourhood youth explode in this fiery film, which brings the spirit of Victor Hugo to the cultural skirmishes of the Parisian suburbs. Yeah. I'm actually seeing that tonight, so I'll tell you how it is next Friday. Please <laughs> do. That's actually my favourite musical. So It's um, not actually. Would... It's not actually really based on the musical. It's more oh, based it on it? the original novel. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Um, so again, uh, today, so Friday, August the 2nd, uh, there's a forum, Decolonising Environmentalism. Uh, the speakers are New South Wales Green Senator uh, Merheen Faruqi, who's been absolutely kicking it on Facebook. She's got some great posts. She's really active. Uh, and that's 6pm, uh, Library at the Dock, 107 Victoria Parade, uh, sorry, Victoria Harbour Promenade in the Docklands. And that's hosted by the Green. Uh, more information on Facebook. On Saturday, August the 3rd to Wednesday, August the 14th, we've got a film screening, um, Official Secrets, True Story About Catherine Gunn, the British Secret Service whistleblower who tried to stop the Iraq War. Uh, again, Saturday, August the 3rd to Sunday, August the 18th, there's a film screening, Sorry We Missed You. Ken Loach's new film is a passionate bulletin from the heart of modern Britain, the land of zero hours, vassalage and service economy serfdom. I really want to see that one. Um, Saturday, August the 3rd, again, music, three songs for 3CR, a benefit concert for Music Sans Frontières, 3CR's weekly world music program, and that's at 7.30 at the Abbotsford Convent, which is 1 St Helier's Street in Abbotsford. On Sunday, that August the 4th, there's uh, the West Papua Open Day, which is at uh, 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, at the DFAIT Federal Republic of West Papua, which is um, 838 Collins Street in the city. Monday, August the 5th, there's a forum, The Hidden Hell for Refugees in the Heart of Melbourne. A prison for refugees, the Melbourne Immigration Transit Centre is located in Broadmeadows, uh, and that's at 6.30 at the A&M, ANMF 535 Elizabeth Street in the city. I believe, is that where that um, the young man was um, died? Is that the, um, the place? I um, believe it is. Which one? The uh, Melbourne Immigration Transit Centre. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> in Broadmeadows. Yeah, exactly. Um, on Tuesday, August the 6th, uh, there's a forum, Hiroshima, Never Again. Learn about the ongoing legacy of nuclear weapons in Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Central Australia and the Pacific and understand Australia's position on the new UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And that's at 7pm for a 7.30 start at the Civic Hall, a corner of Balcom Road and College Grove, uh, Black Rock. Uh, also on uh, Tuesday, August the 6th, there's a film screening, We Don't Need a Map, and that's at 7pm at the new International Bookshop, uh, Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. 
On Wednesday, August the 7th, uh, there's a council meeting about the Footscray Park uh, save, the, save the date. Uh, following the Maribyrnong Council locking us out at the last council meeting, the council has bowed to pressure and is holding uh, a meeting so that we can ask questions. And that's um, 6.30. The venue is to be announced, but check out um, Safe Footscray Park on Facebook. Um, thank you, Gemma, for, um, for talking about that today. Uh, also on Wednesday, August the 7th, there's a book launch, Pramvanak um, on the Dead Eye and the Deep Blue Sea, 7pm at the New International Bookshop, Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Friday, August the 9th, so next Friday, there is the University Climate Walkout. Uh, so the education sector needs to be at the forefront of the fight against climate change, and that's at 1pm, and that's at the State Library, 328 Swanston Street in the city. So basically this is the university students' um, the section of the action for climate, which is great. Um, Saturday, 10th of August, there's a rally, more trains on the upfield line. Sick of our underserviced, overcrowded trains? Get ready for our next action to promote more trains on the upfield line. That's at 11am at Bain Reserve, which is 2 Merlin Street in Coburg North. Um, I'm involved in that one. I, I'm a local to the Coburg area and I have given up on the upfield line. It's so terrible. So if you, if you have too or you're frustrated about it, 11am Bain Reserve on Saturday, August the 10th. Um, also on Saturday, August the 10th, uh, on Untold Storytime, Reading for Refugee Rights at MITA, uh, join Teachers for Refugees for an Untold Storytime protest at the front of MITRE, the MITRE Detention Centre. Uh, teachers and educators will host true story readings about the refugees still detained in MITRE, Manus and Nauru. And that's at 12 noon, uh, MITRE, 120 to 150 Camp Road in Broadmeadows. Uh, also on Saturday, August the 10th, Fight the Right, an anti-fascist day forum, which is 12 noon to 6 p.m. And that's also at Trade Hall, Trades Hall 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Uh, Tuesday, August the 13th, there's a forum, Me Too, Stories from the Australian Movement, which is at 3 p.m. at the Victorian University in the community, 138 Nicholson Street in Footscray. Uh, there's another forum, Dismantling the Digital Dystopia, Lizzie O'Shea and John Postel in conversation about what history can tell us about both the potentials and pitfalls of digital technology in the struggle for a better world. That's at 6pm at the New International Bookshop uh, Trades Hall, 54 Victorian Street, Carlton South. I'm really interested in that one. I'm thinking of going to that. Uh, Wednesday, August the 14th to Sunday, August the 25th, there's Theatre, Wild Cherries, Trapped by Circumstance and Poverty, Exploited and Disposable, a group of forced labourers risk everything to break the bonds that imprison them. And that's at La Mama Theatre. Um, so that was it. Oh, we, um, can you just announce um, the action that wasn't on there? Oh, actually, yes. So um, we have, uh, so uh, Extinction Rebellion in Moreland um, have an action, which is a ride-in to die-in. Um, so that's happening um, from, uh, so that's on uh, August the 17th and it starts at, I believe, 10 a.m. at uh, Moreland Station, where a group of riders and walkers will then um, come down uh, uh, Sydney Road on a slow ride 
and get to the Brunswick Town Hall and then there'll be a die-in as well. So that's uh, the die-in I think starts at about 11.30. So the whole thing takes a couple of hours and that's going to be a really big event and that's on August the 17th. So get down there, either do the write-in, do the die-in or do both um, and just encouraging people if you want to, um, we need help with um, people to hand out uh, leaflets, etc. as the riders go down Sydney Road. So if you wanted to, you can come and help with the ride-in part, but just do walking and handing out leaflets. So that's it. Okay, um, I just wanted to give a quick kind of news update. This is just um, something that was um, brought to our attention by a listener who phoned in. Um, but this was in the latest um, paper. I think this was in The Australian. And, of course, there's probably a particular political reason why they're putting a lot of emphasis on this. Um, but the ABC self-reported to the Fair Work um, Odds Ombudsman. Ombudsman, yep. Um, the <laughs> underpayment of over 25 um 2,500 casual staff. 2,500 yeah. um, staff earlier this year, and the case has yet to be resolved. So I just thought I'd um, point to mention that. All right, I might just go play a quick announcement, um, and then we'll move on to our second in last interview with Alex Bainbridge. El Dorado, the story of Scudiez, is the story of a fight of a small community in northern Greece against a multinational-owned gold mine project that threatens their homes and lives. A grassroots movement is fighting against the destruction of the environment caused by the extraction methods and for democratic control of the most crucial basic resources, water, air and land. It shows Greece in the era of social and economic crisis where the rights of communities and the environment collide with big business and profit. This screening will be followed by a performance by Bandidas playing classic Rembetica songs of love and loss, pain and pleasure at Café Gummo, 7-Eleven High Street Thornbury on Saturday the 10th of August at 7.30pm. Entry will be by gold coin donation and all funds will go to 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and on the line we have um, Alex Bainbridge, um, who is um, um, who is from Green Left Weekly, um, and also been on our program a number of times. Um, but he, we get we have him on the line to talk about actually our affiliate, um, Green Left Weekly, um, because Green Left Weekly is in the midst of running a supporters campaign um, and is looking for you know, because it's um, both our Radio program and um, Green Left Weekly, our, publica- our weekly publication that we're associated with, um, relies quite generously on the on the generous financial contributions that um, people like um, you, um, like ourselves and ordinary people who are listening right now make. Um, so we have Alex Bainbridge on the line to talk about the supporters campaign. Um, I guess Alex, the first thing I guess I want to ask um, maybe is maybe talk about. Can you tell us what is sort of the significance of Green Left Weekly um, in terms of, you know, politics and in terms of what it offers? Um? Yeah, yeah. Good morning, Jacob. It's good to be here. Um, Green Left has been coming out now for uh, more than 25 years. So it's actually quite a established institution on the left in Australia. And over that time, it's played a very important role in housing discussion for various points of view and analysis and news and updates on a whole lot of ways that uh, gives people an understanding about left-wing ideas, environmental consciousness, the issues that, that progressive people care about. 
But it's more than just an information source. I think that's actually the critical thing about Green Left Weekly and the whole entire Green Left project is that it's about it's it's media which is designed to connect with the process of uh, creating social change. So it's about organising a popular grassroots movement, and it's all Green Left Weekly and the, the Green Left project has always been connected to. Uh, to those organising efforts, whether that be in campaigns, social movements and trade unions and also um, political parties like, like such, such as Socialist Alliance. Um, so thank you for coming on the show, Alex. Um, you mentioned that um, Green Left Weekly plays a role in these, um, you know, sort of campaigning for socially progressive issues. Um, it's um, it's the kind of uh, publication that actually pushes social progressive issues and changes the la- the progressive landscape as well. Um, you know, like uh, 3CR. Uh, Green Left Weekly gives a voice to those who don't normally have a voice in mainstream media. So, you know, in the Indigenous community, uh, the homeless community, um, you know, things like uh, women's rights, racism, etc., that actually have articles that are in-depth and nuanced rather than the sort of this black and white kind of um, drum-beating hatred that we have in the mainstream media. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on um, the role that Green Left Weekly plays in actually... Uh, putting out these issues and explaining them in a way that is nuanced rather than um, sort of, you know, something that's that's designed to, to invoke hatred? I guess we feel like, I mean, one of the things we say about Green Left is that Green Left is people-powered media. Now, I think that goes two ways. On the one hand, Green Left Weekly is, you know, at its heart, it's a, it's a volunteer-based project. So we're basically, we rely on people. Uh, you know, input of their passion and their enthusiasm to actually make the whole project work. But it's also about promoting people power. It's also about promoting, mm. uh, promoting a, a, a confidence and a self-understanding that not only, uh, is it right to change the world, but it's actually possible to change the world. And that is, that if there is one underlying consistent message throughout the entire Green Left, um, project over 25 years, it is people power uh, can change the world and, and what we do makes a difference. And and exactly like you say, the analysis and the arguments that we put forward are designed to help ordinary people understand the world better so we can change it. Excellent. And um, Green Left Weekly doesn't actually rely on corporate donations, which is a really important part of being sort of a free and independent voice. How important is it to um, rely on people's donations rather than corporate donations and in, in regards to press freedom? Well, I mean, one of the things like, I mean, obviously people are aware, like there's these days you go to train stations or whatever you that you get you know, people try to shove things into your hand for free and, uh, and and all that sort of stuff. And the thing that people don't realise is that every time someone is giving you something for free, uh, basically they're, they're giving you advertising. Mm. And, I mean, you know, obviously we uh, we do try and, you know, create an alternative, but it's basically, you know, we, we do ask people to, um, you know, to support us in every way, including financially um, and, and other ways as well. Because that's the only way that we can build a a genuine um, alternative that is people powered and does promote people power, and uh, you know, yeah, that's that's basically what we're on about. And can you give us some instances um, on topics that have not been covered by the mainstream media that Green Left Weekly has actually covered? Um, you know, things that won't be in the corporate interest um, but will be in the people interest. Can you give me some examples of that sort of thing? 
Well, I think, I mean, there's, there's definitely lots of examples from the international sphere. I mean, like you think about the Rojava Revolution, one of the most inspiring things which is happening in the world at the moment uh, in northern Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you relied on the mainstream media, you wouldn't even know that it, that it existed. Uh, look, to take another case like Venezuela, which is, um, you know, which is a social change project which was you know, perhaps 10 years ago a lot more exciting than it is now. I mean, there's actually there's, there's real-life crisis and, um, and problems to be solved in Venezuela. Uh, but... Uh, the mainstream media completely ignored all of the positive stories when, you know, Chavismo yeah. was at its height, when they were, when they were, when the social reform project was moving forward. And even now today, they, the mainstream media is, you know, well, actually, a few months ago they were covering Venezuela when there was an active coup attempt going on. Now that mm. the coup attempt has failed, oh, Venezuela's dropped out of the news again. So, like, it, it, these are some of the examples where, um, you know, real practical social change projects that, uh, that, that we have a stake in. Like, when, when, when people's movements win victories in other parts of the world, that is an advantage to us here in Australia, mm. uh, and, and vice versa as well. And so, I mean, I think it's very clear on some of the international issues that the, the mainstream media signals, but even actually a lot of the, the local issues as well. Um, there's, you know, just like some of the analysis of things like uh, why did the Labor Party lose the last election? I mean, if you if you listen to the Labor the Labor Party uh, spin mm. doctors and and frankly most of the mainstream media, they will tell you that Labor Party was offering us such an ambitious, uh, pr- you know, uh, 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 such an ambitious sort of um, offering, and oh, they couldn't possibly they, they lost the election because they offered us too much good things. And in actual fact, um, uh, Green Next Weekly, I mean, uh, and I acknowledge other other activists and progressive media as well um, have 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 analysed those flaws in the Labor Party spin doctoring and the mainstream their echoes in the mainstream media, mm. but but Green Left Weekly is part of um, you know how, drawing out the threads, analysing the world around us both locally and internationally, so we can understand it better, so we can change it. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned um, Venezuela. Um, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me the amount of misinformation that's out there on the Internet in regards to the situation in Venezuela. And I believe one of your correspondents, um, Fred Fuentes, actually went over to Venezuela uh, to see what was happening and to report back. And that's the kind of thing um, that is needed. You know, everyday people going over and reporting on what's happening and, and talking to everyday people as well. I feel like some of these journalists just sit in their hotel rooms and get fed, uh, you know, the party line by, you know, governments or whoever's, you know, wanting to push a political agenda and don't actually talk to the real people. And that's the kind of thing that's really important with Green Left Weekly. Green Left Weekly shows solidarity with workers and people's movements all across the world. And I think that's really very, very important. In fact, um, uh, we, we, there was a, you know, obviously, um, a recent election and, um, uh, we have someone from Belgium who's come over and they helped out at the, the last election because of the reporting and the coverage that Green Left Weekly did on the Belgium elections as well. And he wanted to show solidarity with us and this whole kind of communication across the world from people's movements and progressive, um, movements is so important and is part of what Green Left Weekly does. And Alex, can you just maybe tell me how people can uh, support Green Left Weekly? What are the models of, um, you know, of support that they can um, can help out with? Well, in terms of signing up as supporters, which is this current campaign, it's very easy. All you need to do is go to our website, greenleft.org.au/support. 
and you can sign up. There's a number of ways you can do it. I mean, we're asking people uh, to, I guess, sign up for a regular monthly contribution. It could be $5 a month, $10 a month or $20 a month, whatever is in your sort of price bracket, whatever you can afford. Um, and then as part of that, like the $5 a month will give you an access to a digital subscription. Um, the $10 or $20 a month will give us give access to a digital and or print uh, subscription. Uh, but we're asking people, you know, if you support our work, if you like our work, please, you know, sign up as a supporter. And, you know, it's not about getting a product. It's about supporting a campaign for social change. Absolutely. And I've got the $10 per month um, digital and print edition because I do like to read it, you know, whilst um, having something in the morning and uh, and reading about it uh, as a newspaper. It's absolutely fantastic and some quality reporting by everyday people, which is something to um, to emphasise. And if people want to get involved, you know, if people want to write for Green, Green Left Weekly, is that something that they can do? Look, there's lots of ways to get involved. I mean, writing articles, uh, taking photographs, um, making videos for the Green FTV, uh, supporting us in fundraisers, helping to organise fundraisers, helping to get the paper out there or, you know, you know, share it on social media. There's lots of ways people can, can get involved. And if you get, again, go to our website, there's, um, there's contact centres in every state. Uh, and, and yeah, we'd love you to, whatever way you want to support the project, we would love to have your support. Excellent. And is there anything um, that you wanted to sort of end in? We're going to end the um, the interview soon, but is there anything that you want to that we haven't said, we haven't covered, that you want to talk about? I think we're we're living at a time which is very interesting. I mean, I think especially Absolutely. the whole climate crisis is uh, becoming people are becoming more and more aware of it and how serious it is. And I mean, I I feel like I mean I go back uh, to when I shortly after I first came involved in politics. Uh, was the the 1992 Earth Summit, and that was supposedly the time when the entire world there was at the time the biggest ever collection of heads of state that have, had ever met in the world. Mm-hmm. They they got together, had a meeting, said climate change is real. We're going to start reducing emissions from 1990 levels. We're going to go down from there, and the exact opposite has happened. Since then, we have doubled the amount of carbon emissions that have happened in the world since then. That is the status quo world that we live in, and you know if we want to have a future. We need, we need, we ordinary people need to step onto the stage of history and take power out of the hands of the current corporate elite that have misused their power, yeah. the governments that are bought and sold by the corporate elite. Uh, those people have, have got no legitimacy from the standpoint of a, uh, of a, of a, of a moral, you know, in, in the moral sense of the world. They, they have misused their power and they don't deserve it. Ordinary mm. people need to step onto the stage of history and, and basically, you know, uh, act in our own interests and we're asking you for support in this campaign please support this campaign because that is part a contribution towards playing that role of winning people's power future absolutely i've always been impressed with um green left weekly's environmental coverage and their solidarity with the student strikers um with you know extinction rebellion etc um it's definitely uh, now is the time more than ever we need to stand up and fight for a you know a better future for our planet and obviously green left weekly as an independent voice is a really powerful way of promoting um the climate action um you know initiative thank you so much alex so just um um 
um, just again to recap, so if you want to support uh, Green Left Weekly as a publication, uh, go to greenleft.org.au and you can click and be a supporter. $5 per month for the digital rate, $10 per month for the digital and print rate, and there's also a solidarity rate of $20 per month if you can afford that. Everything counts. It's really important to support independent voices, people-powered voices. Thank you so much, Alex, and um, we look forward to many more years of Green Left Weekly publications. Yeah, thanks for that. Good Thank to you. Right, thanks, Alex. Right, that was um, Alex Bainbridge um, from Green Left Weekly talking about um, the ongoing um, the Green Left Weekly supporters campaign that is going to be starting um, this Sunday. Um, and um, just I think I'm not sure if Alex mentioned this, but um, if you if you become a Green Left Weekly supporter from this Sunday, I think. Um, and um, you can you can get the first month free um, for a ten, um, which would cost up to ten dollars a month after. Fantastic! All yeah, right. definitely worth it. A green, my Greenleaf Weekly subscription is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually supportive, but get what? Greenleaf uh, Weekly, sorry, supporter, not subscription. <laughs> I, um, so Megan, you yeah. wanted to read just um, something. This is just a bit of feed, um, just a bit of feedback actually from a listener who um, enjoyed our coverage uh, of Footscray Park. Um, he wanted to let list, uh, they wanted to let listeners know, um, the Melbourne Victory slash Marimor on joint venture is just another enclosure of the commons. Um, and an example mm, of this yeah. is that Jeff Gennett, Kennett gave away the sports grounds around Olympic Park slash Long Street Richmond to private, um, corporations. And also they thank us, um, for covering, um, the issue. Thank you, listener. That's really important. We are always fighting to keep, um, community lands in community hands. And it's, it's an ongoing fight, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So we have um, um, like close to three to four minutes left on our program. Is there any quick things, um, last minute stories that you would like to cover? Uh, no, but I do really encourage people to support um, environment initiatives um, that students are doing. So there's the climate walkout, uh, the university climate um, walkout uh, on August the 9th. Then there's the student strike for climate on September the 20th, which is going to be absolutely huge. I'd also encourage people to get involved with your local Extinction Rebellion group. Um, there are Extinction Rebellion groups popping up everywhere. Wherever you are, there's going to be an Extinction group nearby, Extinction Rebellion group. And if there isn't, please consider contacting them to start your local group because it is a community-based group. Now more than ever, we need to do something about the environment and about climate, the climate emergency that we face because our governments aren't and our corporations aren't because they are the problem. Uh, so it's going to be people who are the answer to our climate emergency. You listeners are the answer to our climate emergency. And that's all I have to say. Well, um, just actually one thing on the whole climate strike thing, actually. Um, um, The teen, um, Greta um, Funberg was actually um, attacked um, by... Good old Andrew yeah, Bolt. Yeah, good old Andrew Bolt, the um, righty we love to hate. Yeah, well, and um, I think I didn't actually read the article because apparently you have to pay um, to read it. And, it's behind a paywall and, and I'm not paying. I'm not going to pay not um, to read. What, kind of but stuff. apparently um, the gist of it was apparently Andrew Bolt was attacking her for, you know, um, inciting climate panic. Yes, he uh, says, don't worry, there is no climate emergency. Don't worry about all of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, he also attacked um, the fact a fact that, um, which is very offensive, I think that, um, great, um, point something about Greta Funberg's, um, autism diagnosis. Um, but in, 
in in an amazing way, um, Greta Thunberg has actually hit back at Andrew Bolt for her disturbing um, co- um for his disturbing column. Yep, um, very graceful and measured is Greta in her comeback. Yeah, and so yeah, she um tweeted about it, and you know, um, I think it's probably. Uh, I think, you know, the, the fact is, I think the popular consciousness is with, um, with the student strikers. Um, and, you know, Andrew Bolt can mm. continuously say whatever irrelevant things he wants to say. Yeah. But and think- Andrew Bolt, go get stuffed. You and your non-neurotypical, um, crap. Um, yeah, sure. Greta might be autistic, but autistic people can change the world. Thank you very much. You don't have to be neurotypical to change the world and be a leader. And Greta has demonstrated that she absolutely is a leader. All right. Um, so um, the last thing I'd like to say is um, thank all our listeners um, for tuning in. And thank um, you for the feedback. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And yep. thanks to our guests um, that we had on the program, Alex Bainbridge and Gemma. Um, and then I'll just encourage listeners to tune in to Beyond Zero Emissions, which is taking place after this. Yep. And National climate change initiatives. Anything uh, that um, is going on in the climate world, they yeah. will talk about. And um, the next other thing is, um, yeah, please tune in next week if you enjoyed our program. And also, uh, just oh, really don't. quickly. No, oh, no. no. We don't have time. <laughs> we sorry. don't have time. Sorry. Yeah. Bye, everyone. <laughs> this brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? of U.S.-China contention and U.S. Australia.